this morning is, is that I can define for you a little bit about what biblical joy is and how we live in it. Jesus said in John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages in the whole of the Bible, the passage where Jesus describes himself as the true vine and gives a description of the importance of each one of us as branches abiding in the vine, drawing life from the vine, which is the true source of life. And in verse 11 of chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, I have told you this. In other words, I have told you that I am the vine, that you must abide in me, that you draw your life, your your very essence from me as you abide in me. I have told you this. Why? So that your joy or excuse me, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. So Jesus tells us that we are to abide in him so that we can have his joy, so that we can know what his joy is all about and we can experience it in our own lives. Joy, the word here, means exultant gladness or euphoric peace. So stop, about, stop and think about those two phrases. Exultant gladness. Euphoric peace. Does that describe your life? I don't know. It doesn't always describe mine. Sometimes. Sometimes. But sometimes not. But, but really, Jesus says, my joy is all about exultant gladness. It's about euphoric peace regardless of the circumstances that we may find ourselves in. Jesus wants to have us to have a fullness of that. And the word there, fullness, is also used in John chapter 12, verse 3. And it's an interesting passage. It's the passage where Mary breaks open the, the vial of spikenard. And it's a very expensive perfume. And as she breaks it open, the aroma from the spikenard, begins to fill the house. And literally what the term means, the fullness means, is that every nook and cranny of that house was filled with the aroma of that perfume. There was no place within that home that you could go that you would not smell the spikenard that Mary had broken open. And so Jesus is saying, Likewise to us, he wants us to have a joy that is so full that there is no corner of our lives, no aspect of our experience that does not possess joy and does not have the capacity to then express joy. That's what exultant gladness, euphoric peace means. The the other day, Christy and I were uh, cleaning up in the kitchen. And for those husbands and wives out there, who sometimes try to do the cleaning chores at the same time in the same place, you might identify with this. But I'm doing one thing, she's doing another, and we're in the same space, and we cross paths and knock over a thing of liquid wax. You know, one of those little aromatherapy things. Well, let me tell you, even though there was only maybe two tablespoons of liquid wax, it went everywhere. I mean, there are still places we're finding that it went. That's sort of the idea of, of this fullness, that it, it just permeates everything. So Jesus wants us to have a fullness of joy, his joy. 
the joy that he experienced. We read, and and this is not going to be an in-depth study, obviously, but as you go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you will find is there's a lot of description of joy, what joy is all about, how we experience that God indeed wants us to have joy in our lives. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. So as the Spirit controls us, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the things we will be filled with is joy. Joy also is described as a characteristic of the kingdom of God. In Romans chapter 14, Paul tells the Romans that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. So that's really what the kingdom of God is is described as, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord. And so joy should characterize our lives. We need to understand that that's sort of what people ought to see when they look at our lives. Is an illustration of joy. Now, biblical joy, really joy in, in, in any respect, comes from knowledge and from experience. We have certain information in our head that makes us exultantly glad or gives us euphoric peace. There's some kind of knowledge that we possess that allows us to experience that. And that's the second part, is that there's an experience with that knowledge, an interaction with that knowledge that makes it real, that draws it out, that gives us an understanding and a depth of interaction with it that is uh, impossible without the combination of the knowledge and the experience. So biblical joy emerges from knowledge and experience. And I'm going to give you four different things, four different aspects of knowledge that should help to create an experience of biblical joy in your life. First, understand, know that God is with you. We're coming into the Christmas season. In a few weeks, we'll begin to celebrate the Advent of Christ's first coming. And it's interesting that the description given, the name really given in Isaiah chapter 7 of the Messiah when he would come to this earth. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God is with us. He is with each one of us. As Christians, God dwells within us. And that's a wonderful and an amazing truth, that God dwells in us. Wherever you go today, when you go home, whether you go to a restaurant, whether you go to the grocery store, whether you're out in the fields working, wherever you are, God is with you. He is in you by His Holy Spirit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's important knowledge to understand But when you understand it, that no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, no matter how wonderful or how challenging, 
God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That is something that should give you joy. You may be lonely at times, but you are never alone. You are never alone. God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The disciples there in John chapter 16, they were saddened because Jesus was telling them he was going away and they would not see him any longer. And the the Bible says that their hearts filled with sorrow. And Jesus said, you will be sorrowful, but there will come a time when you will see me again and your sorrow will be turned into joy. When they understood that, When they saw Jesus again after his resurrection, it was very true, wasn't it? They were filled with joy at the knowledge that Jesus lived. So God is with you, and you can rejoice in that knowledge. God also is at work in you. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That is speaking of the Lord. The Lord began a work in you at your conversion when you became born again. He began a good work in you. But it says that he will be faithful to complete that work in you. So your life experience is all about the potter molding the clay. It says in Philippians 2.13 that it is God who has worked in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in your life. Now, sometimes you may be very aware of that. Other times, perhaps, you may not. But understand and know that God is at work shaping you, forming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's why James wrote that we are to count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials and temptations knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance have its perfect work. So we are to count it all joy when we experience challenges, difficult things, because it's an evidence of the fact that God is at work in our lives, shaping us, forming us. He is with us. He's at work in us. You know, it it says in, in Hebrews 12 that The Father disciplines those whom he loves. So when we are disciplined of the Lord, it's an evidence of his love. It's a good thing when we are challenged, when we go through difficult things, and we're called upon then to trust in and rely upon the Lord, to exercise our faith. It's it's not unlike going to the gym and pressing weight. There's the the phrase, no pain, no gain. And I don't know if Angie would agree with that or not, but but there is a measure of truth to it that you have to exert and you have to go through a crucible sometimes in order to come out tried and true. So God is with you. God is at work in you. God also wants you to experience joy. As I said, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. But God has a special investment in us experiencing his joy. As I said, it's one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God. It's one of the best evidences that our lives have been changed. 
that regardless of the circumstances surrounding us, we are filled with joy. What happened there in Acts chapter 16? Paul and Silas were in the prison. Their backs had just been laid open with a beating. And at the midnight hour, in the darkest part of the prison, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises unto God. Lift up hymns to the Holy One. And what happens? An earthquake shatters the prison. And as a result of that, the jailer and his whole family come to faith because of Paul and Silas's exercise of joy in the midst of a difficult circumstance. God wants you to experience joy. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you're, you're like me, sometimes I wonder about that statement. I believe it's true, but I wonder about it. God really wants me to experience joy. Sometimes the things I'm going through would not seem to uh, support that notion. But I want to tell you a story. When I was in seventh grade, I loved athletics. And I lived in a small Kansas town, and we had a sporting goods store that was downtown, probably a mile or so from our house. And I would go down to that sporting goods store sometimes on a daily basis. And I would just hang out there. Fortunately for me, the, the gentleman who owned the sporting goods store, his father lived right next to us. So he knew me. And he understood that I liked athletics, so he sort of let me hang around his store. And I just loved being in that store. I loved looking at the tennis rackets and the baseball gloves and the basketball footwear. I would look at this footwear. He had this one pair of shoes that uh, Bob Lanier, any of you know who Bob Lanier is? Had worn, size 22. They were big. And I would just sit literally probably for hours and look at these different things and look at the shoes. One day, I saw a pair of shoes that I wanted. It was a pair of gold suede leather Converse. And I loved those shoes. I knew that I needed to have those shoes. Basketball season was coming up. These were the perfect shoes for me. I was convinced. Everyone else wore just the canvas Converse. I wanted the suede leather Converse. But they were sort of expensive. They were $17. Now, <laughs> by comparison today, that doesn't sound like much. But back in 1971, 17 bucks for a pair of shoes was um, expensive. I wanted those shoes, and I told my dad about them. And my dad said, well, I don't know. That's pretty expensive. Um, I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. So I would continue my journeys down to the sporting goods store. I would continue to gaze upon my treasured suede leather gold Converse shoes, anticipating Christmas coming, because I was sure that my dad was going to get me these shoes. Christmas Eve came which was the time when we would open our presents. And I was so excited. Went through the presents. I even had a couple of boxes identified that I was pretty sure could be the shoes. And as you might imagine, when I opened them and the shoes were not in them, each time my heart dropped a little bit. I was sure my dad understood that I wanted these shoes. Finally, I had opened all my presents. No shoes. And, 
you know, it's Christmas. It's not like I didn't have some good things. So I'm trying to be a good kid and, and not get too upset. But I, I was terribly disappointed. So we have cleaned up all of the wrapping from around the tree. Everything uh, has been put away. We've all gathered our gifts and brought them to our rooms and so forth. And I'm coming around the, the door into a hallway. And at the end of the hallway, guess what I saw? Gold suede leather condoms. At the end of the hallway. I ran down to the end of the hallway. And literally, my dad took a picture. I leapt for joy. He caught me. I don't know how high I was, but I was off the ground. Now, why did he do that? Why didn't he just give me the shoes under the tree? Because he wanted me to experience a fullness of joy an anticipation, and a, a fullness, a maturity level of what it meant to not have something, but then to have it, and to know what the associated joy was like. That's how it is with our Father. He wants us to have joy. Now, sometimes the circumstances we go through, we're there at the tree, we're looking through the boxes, and we're thinking, where is it? God, where is it? And, and God, in his sovereign knowledge, knows they're at the end of the hallway in a few minutes. God wants you to have joy in your life. He wants us to experience that fullness of joy. Finally, God, and this is really ultimately, if you read through the scriptures, that the preeminent source of knowledge that gives us joy. That is, that God welcomes us into heaven. This is the knowledge that surpasses everything else. God is inviting you. Not only is he inviting you, as a Christian, he's welcoming you. He's saying, come on, kids. You're going to spend eternity with me. And the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord, our joys evermore. So God welcomes us into his presence. And that knowledge gives us joy. It says in, in Jude verse 24, unto he who is able to bring you before his presence, faultless, with perfect joy. And I love that verse because it says that he is able to bring us into his presence, faultless first, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but also with a perfect joy. So when we enter into the, the face-to-face experience with God, joy off the chart. Jesus, in telling the parable of the talents, for those who were faithful, at the end, the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Now you will be master over much. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. There is a time that is coming for all of us where we will be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. We will see him face to face. We will know fully, even as we are fully known. And the joy that we experience in that knowledge carries us through so many difficult things in this life. Because at the end of the tunnel, folks, there is a light, and it's not a train. 
It's the Lord. And it's going to be full of joy. Billy Sunday said that if you don't experience joy in your life as a Christian, you're leaking somewhere. And it's true. It's true. Jesus didn't want our joy to be passing. He did not want our joy to be circumstantial. He wanted our joy to be full. And so as we go through the study of Philippians, we're going to look at, I mean, and it talks about in the four chapters of Philippians, a variety of circumstances that really talk about real life. But in the midst of that real life, Paul is able to consistently attach joy to it. So what about you? Are you experiencing joy in your walk as a Christian? Or is someone robbing you of that joy? Do you have a leak in your container, so to speak? Satan's all about robbing you of your joy. Satan is all about taking away those opportunities for you to express what the kingdom of God is like and what knowing Jesus Christ is all about. Sometimes we rob ourselves of joy. We fill our lives with so many activities and functions and busyness that we don't abide in the vine the way we ought to. Sometimes we get distracted and we begin to look for sources of joy elsewhere than in the Lord. In a compliment, in uh, an extra uh, bit of money coming our way through a vacation. What, what I find interesting about vacations is sometimes, don't you come back from vacations more tired than you left? So what robs you of your joy? I think ultimately what happens when we don't experience joy is we're not abiding in the and so that's it. We need to stay, stay connected through the Holy Spirit. We need to stay connected one with another. Next week's message is going to be finding joy in fellowship. The first 11 verses of chapter 1. The fellowship that we share, Paul says, is a fellowship that should bring us great joy. Being with one another. Spurring one another on to love and to good works. We need the body of Christ. So finding joy making sure that we're not robbed of it. That's what we're going to be examining. God is with you. God is at work in you. God wants you to experience joy, and ultimately God is welcoming you into his heavenly home for eternity. That knowledge translated into experience should help each one of us to know fullness of joy. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that we have been giving in our salvation. Just as, as David said there in Psalm 51, sometimes we, we lose the joy of our salvation. Restore unto us that joy. Lord, we, we have become disconnected from you in some way or some fashion. We've listened to, to lying lips or we have focused upon things other than you and our joy escapes us. Bring into our experience, Lord, that fullness of joy. Focus our minds and our lives on you 
in such a way that our joy is overwhelming, joy unspeakable and full of glory, as Peter said. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and in your name we do pray. Amen. So we are going to now sing In the Garden, and there's this verse I was telling Alicia. I love this, this hymn, but there's this verse in the chorus that says, And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So let's rise up and sing that old hymn. <laughs> Lord, richly bless each one of you and fill you with his joy. May the joy of the Lord be your strength as you go forth from this place. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, allow the joy of the Lord to so fill you that it overcomes. In Jesus' name.